0: Really want to understand what good news your life, death, burial, and resurrection is. Some of us have heard it our whole lives. And so over the years, I don't know, Lord, it it just we've heard it so many times that it, it's lost some significance. And so as we go through studying this book that you had written for us, we pray that you would reignite the fire that we once had when we heard those that good news. Lord, for some of our folks that are brand new to you and they they don't know what we're talking about and we love that, Lord, and we pray that you continue to fan into the flame the fire they've already got going as they understand the good news. And Jesus, we always have here folks that have yet to meet you or that have been to church a lot and don't know, really know you, don't really have a relationship, we pray you would explain the good news to them. And even today, as we open your word, that they would gain freedom from the reading of your word and Holy Spirit, you would deal with their hearts just very directly, very, very personally. Love them and teach them, Lord. We trust you with these few minutes we have together in Jesus' name. Amen. So I had a pretty unique childhood. Uh, uh, Todd Carnes and I are really good friends. Todd and I are, are two of the pastors here through the years at, at Radius. And uh, Todd grew up in a home where he got saved in college and really had no church experience, no consistent church experience until, until he got saved late in his college career at Alabama. I grew up in a home with a, a dad that, so so Sunday was like we were going to be at church, right? He called it the Holy Day. Uh, actually, he called it the Lord's Day. And uh, so on Sundays we go two services in the morning. There was two services at the church that I grew up. We'd go home, eat lunch, and then we'd come back at six o'clock on Sunday night, every Sunday, 52 Sundays a year, right? We would come back from vacation. We'd be at Myrtle Beach on vacation. The family would get in the station wagon. Some of y'all don't even know what that is. Get in the station wagon. We'd drive back on Saturday night. Even if we had another day, we'd drive back uh, to be at church on Sunday because we, we were not gonna miss. That's just how it was. I had a dad who loved me. He was consistent. My mom and dad loved Jesus. And, and uh, so, so we just, you just follow him into that, right? Like it, it, that's the way Sunday was going to be. It was the Lord's Day and we were going to keep the Lord's Day. Like early 80s, I may have been 1980. I was 13 or so. I, I made this little basketball team. I really wasn't very good, but the coach liked me. And so I got to play point guard a little bit and was really excited about it, but every once in a while, this coach that I was a little afraid of, but really wanted to be affirmed by, he, w- he would uh, ask us to play on practice on Sundays. And man, my, my dad was just a no, right? Like that was, uh, in my home, there was no room. Like you don't cry about it to try to manipulate him, and you certainly don't challenge him head to head. You're just like, okay, it's a no. But he, he would always do this, and it's a great lesson for us dads. I, I like to tell stories about my dad because I just had a really good father, and uh, everybody didn't. So just to learn from he would say, hey, listen, this, he never made me feel like that was the law, but it was the way the Reeves were going to live. It was the Lord's Day. We were going to honor it. And he would always tell me, he'd make me talk to the coach. He never talked to the coach for me. That would be a great lesson for those of us out in the sur- suburbs. Make your kids talk to the teacher, talk to the coach. He'd make me talk to the coach, but then he would say, you can tell the coach that it's my fault, his fault that he, he would go, you can tell him your dad won't let you practice on Sunday. So he'd actually kind of give me this permission to throw him under the bus in some weird way that really made it easier for me to communicate. I, I've practiced that through the years with my kids. That There's certain situations I always want them to handle it. I really can hardly think of a time where I've ever talked to a teacher on my kid's behalf, but I will say to them, hey, you can quote your dad. Tell them, tell them this is what your dad said. It gives them just a little bit more authority in it. So this Sunday, Sabbath, Lord's Day, what, what is that all about? For some of y'all that didn't grow up in church, you're like, what? What did your dad do? And for others of y'all, like, yes, I remember that. And you might even have had some rebellion against it, made you sick that we always had to be at everything. And for others of you, that just brings back great memories. It's interesting how that, that kind of law works out. Here's what I want to say to you right out the gate. Sunday is not the Sabbath, Right? So let's just be let's just be real. The Hebrew Sabbath is what? It's Saturday. It's it's all day Saturday. Uh, you, you have to know that in your head because if you start acting like Sunday Sabbath, it's just not. But this this is something else that's true. You can make Sunday your Sabbath. Like you 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 could Sabbath on the Sunday. It's it can't be the Sabbath, the law, the Sabbath from the Old Testament. But you could say, hey, Sunday's going to be the Lord's Day just like my dad did, and we're going to rest. We're going to go to church. We're going to hang out at the house. That's what we're going to do on Sunday. And there just weren't many options in my home. And that really, looking back, wasn't all bad, right? Like there was this day that was dedicated to the Lord where I heard tons of teaching about him. And I was forced to kind of slow down my schedule. And, and zero in and make sure that Jesus was still at the center of my life. Now, I, I was a believer, I believed in Jesus when I was a kid. All my brothers and sisters, you know, it was different for all of us. But for me, uh, that word, great, is a great lesson for me and you as dads. Otherwise, like, there's this potential that if we don't continually hold the things of God high, our families will come offline. Now, at the same time, if we make Sunday or any day, like that's the Lord's day and that it's like the law, then there's this, there's this dangerous thing that can creep in. Like, like you can actually start measuring yourself against other believers, your neighbors. You can actually start elevating yourself based on how you keep the Lord's day or the sabbath it's it's the weirdest thing how quickly we can come become self-righteous when god when he established the sabbath is actually given a gift to mankind right all other small g gods all other religions are based on like you got to earn it and in in our case our god actually says no i want you to take one day a week off like take take a rest uh Focus on me because I'm the ultimate provider of rest and that's what I want for you. I want your life to be full of joy. But for it to be full of joy, I've got to be a part of it. So let's take a whole day and set it aside. Very interesting conversation that Jesus has uh, in this book that uh, we're reading called Mark. So it's, it's, it's the gospel according to Mark. So it's this Gospel, a better word for us these days is good news. We've called our whole series of good news. And so he writes the stories about Jesus' life, his death and burial for all of us to read because he believes that that's the good news and the best news is his resurrection, that he rose from the grave. And so when we think about the Sabbath, we ought to think about good news, right? Like it, it's good news. It's great news that the people of God can rest because there is no way for us on this planet to please a holy God, as we talked about last week, except for by the blood of Jesus. And so we get together on Sundays and just celebrate that. But check out this conversation with the Hebrew religious leaders of the day that Jesus has in the book of Mark. This is chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath day, uh, again, Saturday, right? You got that in your head. One Sabbath day as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, they had these little paths through the grain fields often. They were just walking trails. Uh, his disciples, who we met a couple weeks ago, began breaking off heads of grain to eat. I don't know about you that that doesn't sound very tasty. That sounds like dry oatmeal with no brown sugar or anything on it, like just eating it right out of the can. But they're just like you would be sucking on a, On a piece of grass back in there, they're taking little pieces of grain and picking it in the mouth. And the Pharisees, the religious leaders, said to Jesus, look, why are they breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? I don't know about you, but I, I can barely read that sentence without it making me mad. How petty can you get? You're following somebody along, and you're criticizing the fact that they picked a little piece of grain and stuck it in your mouth, and you're actually comparing that to harvesting the grain? It's just ridiculous. makes me think of some referees. I've, no offense, referees, right? But some referees I've met through the day that actually, like, they show up at the gymnasium or at the football field or an umpire at a baseball. They actually think that the crowd came to watch them. And they want to in all their glory show how well they understand the rule book and they, they lose track that everybody came to watch the game. Like they're, they're there to watch little Jimmy get a hit, right? Like they're not there to hear him articulate the law and the Pharisees, it seems like they are just consumed with their education and understanding of the rules and they love holding him over the people. One of the things you'll see in every society, is uh, if you can interpret the rules, if you can put yourself in an authority position to interpret the rules, you can control everybody. Folks in churches do it. Folks in governments do it. They, they try their best to put themselves in a position of authority to hold the rules so they, can, so they can control stuff. Check this out. Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days of Abathar, uh, was high priest, and he broke the law, says the NLT, which is strong, broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread, and only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some, some to his companions. So Jesus takes the word of God. He goes back to 1 Samuel. He's not quoting it directly. He's summarizing a story from 1 Samuel chapter 21, and he confronts the Pharisees with it. They know this story. I mean, religious people oftentimes, they know it inside and out, right? So they know 1 Samuel. They love David. They think David was the greatest leader in the history of Israel. He's in the top three all year, Abraham, David, and Elijah, top three all time, right, like of, of Hebrew leaders. And they uh, are confronted by this story as Jesus lays it right in front of me. He, he goes, you know, David broke the law. And he took the bread right out of, the, like like the, the sacred bread, right from the priest and ate it when he was really hungry and running away from King Saul, if you know how 1 Samuel 20 runs. And you're all my guys about eating a little piece of grain? What, what you going to do with David? So what's cool about this is that the Pharisees probably read that story and they always forgave David for it because, uh, because of his desperation in the moment. I'm sure they had a way in their mind of understanding that the heart of the law was not broken, that, that the real thinking that was behind the law being written was not offended when David did. Because First Samuel, when he writes it, doesn't write it like Jesus is quoting it here. He actually, he actually writes it, and it's, it's kind of in a positive light, and Jesus does a pretty cool thing for the Pharisees. like, if you were there, you would have said that David broke the law. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement. He said, the, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. He just confronts the Pharisees and he says, hey, the Sabbath was a gift to mankind. It's a day of rest. It was a day to connect with God for the full 24 hours. It was a gift to mankind and you guys, man, you guys have made it a burden. You've made it difficult. I don't know if you notice know about the Pharisees, but they've taken what God wrote in the Old Testament and they've added to it. They made this long list of rules all about the Sabbath, and they detail, in detail, they argue about what needs to happen on that day of Sabbath, exactly when it starts uh, to the point of just craziness. And Jesus <laughs> confronts them on him, and he says this, so the Son of Man, what he often calls himself, is Lord, even over the Sabbath. Maybe your translation says that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. It's a powerful statement. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, hey, you guys, you want to be Lord over the Sabbath. Like Y'all made all these rules. You've added to the law that was originally written. You think that you're in control. But I am the Lord of the Sabbath. As a matter of fact, Jesus is saying, hey, I was there at creation When the Father, I, and the Holy Spirit, as one God, created everything. And on the seventh day, we rested. We weren't tired. We rested. I was there. We chose. I I chose to take a day of rest. I was there on the mountain that you guys all love so much, speaking to the Pharisees, Mount Sinai. And I met Moses there. And and the Godhead, we put on, on on that rock, we wrote in it the law about the Sabbath. I'm the originator. I'm the creator of the Sabbath. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. What do you think the Sabbath is all about? Jesus could say to them, the Sabbath was designed so that you could rest in me. But you guys, you religious guys, you think that you're the Lord of the Sabbath. Ah, convicting to read. I don't know if you remember a couple weeks ago, we went back to creation and we saw Satan deceive Eve and he told Eve that she could be her own Lord in essence, that she could rule her own kingdom. He lied to her. She believed and she ate of the fruit. And he just continues to do this and the evil ones doing this with the Pharisees and they actually have embraced this idea that they could be the lords of the Sabbath and maintain control in all of us can fall into that trap. I don't know if you remember it, but in other parts of the gospels, the Pharisees have actually redefined what it means to be divorced because they wanna divorce their wives. So they actually, on one hand, they on, on the uh, Sabbath hand, they, they create all these other laws so that they can measure themselves and self elevate. And on the divorce laws, they go the other way so that they can open up the opportunity for them to really for their own pleasures and and for their lack of hassle in loving one woman for the whole life. They change the divorce law so they can get out. So they want to control the law so they can control people and so that they can measure themselves and hold themselves high. Man, that might sound good to you, but there is no rest in that. That's miserable. The word Sabbath actually means deep rest or deep peace. And there is something about me and you, and I, I've been confronted by it all week, that rebels against rest. I don't know what that is. There can be weeks on end where I'm never satisfied. Some of it's because I'm driven, I wanna get to the next thing and I love accomplishments. But the people of God are supposed to be satisfied with life because we know who we are in Jesus. And we literally come together on Sundays to remember the broken body of Jesus and the shed blood of Jesus because there's rest in that. Because there was no righteousness without that. There's no possibility of me being righteous without the broken body of Jesus. And he, he is teaching us in this moment when he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath that he is the ultimate source of rest and, man, we, Radius Church, we ought to be the people, Lexington, Irmo, Saluda. And we ought to be the people that know who we are and can rest in knowing Jesus. Next story is even more appalling. Jesus went into the synagogue. Synagogue is a place where uh, there was a lot of teaching and often conversation about the Old Testament. Uh, again, and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus' enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. I I just want you to hear that. (laughs) Here's a man, his hands deformed. We don't know exactly what that means. But they're hoping Jesus is going to heal him so that they can accuse him. How messed up is that? Like, there's no thought that this man hasn't been able to use his hand and Jesus is going to give him the opportunity to use his hand, All they want to do is hold on to this Sabbath law that they've got to find perfectly in their mind. They want to stay the Lord of the Sabbath and accuse Jesus. And Jesus is is on to him. He says, and Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everybody. So you can imagine him coming up in front of the synagogue, coming right up in front and uh, holding out his hand. Jesus says to him, he turned to his critics and he asked, Does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath, or is it a day for doing evil? Is this day a day to save life or destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him because they could not release their control, their opportunity to elevate self. So he looked around at them angrily. Jesus gets angry multiple times in the New Testament, but this is one of the only times where the Scripture actually uses the word angry. He looks around at them angrily. It's got to tick him off that all this information that they've been taught, all this information they've taken in about him and about his word, and they do not even know how to love. All they can think about is elevating themselves. And he was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, Hold out your hand. I always imagine him holding it up out as high as he can, so so that everybody can see it, but hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand. And check out how NLT reads, it was restored. Doesn't tell how it was restored. Doesn't say Jesus said, be healed. It doesn't say Jesus put his hand on his head, right? Or grabbed his hand and pulled it back. No, just, it just was restored, which is amazing, right? Like, so, so he holds out his hand and it's just restored. Jesus doesn't say anything. There's, the text doesn't give us anything. Jesus does nothing on the Sabbath. The man's hand is just healed, but the Pharisees are so set against him that they, they know he healed him. They give him credit for the miracle, even though he says nothing, and they want him to heal him so that they can condemn him. It's nuts, And so uh, verse six, they actually reach out to their arch enemies because they've got to kill Jesus now because they cannot release their control on the people. They wanna maintain control and they've bet their whole lives on this and so they're gonna stay self elevated. Says this, at once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill Jesus. This would be like the Democrats and the Republicans getting together and coming up with a master plan for our nation and staying in agreement on it, Like it's impossible, it's never gonna happen. But in this particular case, the Pharisees, the Pharisees would have been the ones about traditional family values, like they're arguing, about moralism that they're saying over and over to be good that they would be the folks in the suburbs and in the rural areas of 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 our great nation right that that lean that way and they they hate the Herodians the folks that follow Herod because because the, the Herodians, man, they're, they're open. They believe, they believe in Greek philosophy and culture. And they've accepted all these new ideas about sex and the body and, and the truths. They, they believe in self-discovery probably. Yeah, in our culture, they live downtown, right? They be urbanites. Believe in relativism. They are polar opposite and they hate each other. But one thing they can agree about is they both want control. And Jesus is going to take it from them. So they got to kill him. It's crazy. We're, well, we're in chapter 3 of Mark, and they're already plotting to kill Jesus simply because he's taken away this, this one very important thing to them the Sabbath. He, he's taken away, and he's saying, I'm the Lord of that. You're not the Lord of that. And they cannot let it go. It's crazy how. Uh, Man, our nation's so divided right now, but it seems like both sides are just self-righteous, right? Like, like one says, one side will say something like, we're so much better than the other people who think they're better than the other people, right? I thought that was a great quote I read this week. Like we're better than them because they think they're better than somebody else. And so the left calls the right bigots and the right's got all kind of a variety of things to call the left. Hey, we the people of God, one of the reasons we're teaching Mark right now with the election upcoming, we know who the king is, right? And his ideology does not match any ideology on this planet because his ideology is completely based on him being the Lord, of him being the dominant one. And all of us coming under his authority and only under his authority could we have ultimate peace. So when he says he's the Lord of the Sabbath, it is a It's great news for us because all of a sudden, after all of Jewish history where folks felt this pressure to meet every single detail of the law and sometimes completely miss what it meant, he's saying, no, no, all the rest is in me. And if you know me and you have a relationship with me, I can show you how to live. I'll walk with you in how to live. And there's rest there, true rest, ultimate rest. Praise God for that. So what's pretty interesting is, though I drew, grew up being at uh, church every Sunday, 52 times a year, thankful for it in many ways, but certainly was a discipline. And Todd, you know, one, of, one of my very good friends, grew up never going. 21, 22, first times he started going to church and really met Jesus and was transformed by the Holy Spirit. And, and what's awesome about that, I grew up with all this discipline, and and, and Todd didn't meet him until college, but both of us, like, we we completely agree that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, and that's where all the rest is. And so now we walk out life no matter where we pick up. I don't know where you're at right now. You might be 43, and you just have not been able to say to the Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. I want to repent, and I want to make you Lord. Today's the day, and you start today. I can't. I can't wait for you to experience the peace that comes with that decision. True rest. And for some of us, man, we grew up in churches that demanded all this stuff, right? And we watched the people try to meet all the bars and they would constantly miss and they just seemed to be a miserable, frustrating people. Man, there's all this freedom when we name Jesus as the Lord of Sabbath and we keep ourselves out of that position, then he's the center and we're not. (laughs) And that's really the place on this planet where we thrive. The possibility then is that our kids don't have to grow up hating the church because oftentimes the church was associated with the self-righteous. And I'm just going to tell you, self-righteous are really unattractive because they can't meet their own bars and they have to keep moving them to make themselves feel better, and that's really confusing for a kid. Instead, we can say that only Jesus can meet the bar, and because Jesus meets the bar, because he died and was buried and rose again and shed his blood for us, we want to please him because he's been so generous to us. I keep thinking about Larry Reeves as I talk. Um, you know, there's no perfect dads, I had a really good one. One of the things that I did not want to ever do as a child was disappoint Larry Reeves. I just didn't. It was humiliating. It was uh, heartbreaking when I disappointed him. And I can remember a few times when I really disappointed him. He really didn't have to say much because he loved me well and he disciplined me well and kind of got me aligned with him. That To disappoint him broke my heart. And that's really how, that's what Jesus is saying. Like you guys are holding the Sabbath over people. You're putting a burden on them. He's saying, man, People are supposed to want to do this because of the love of the Father. It's a gift to them. Move it back to this gift spot. One of the really fun things at Radius, from the very beginning, we wanted this place be a place that you wanted to come. I still remember a young guy in the very early days. He ran our soundboard for a while, and he says, you know what I love about this place? There's only 50, 75. He goes, everybody here seems to want to be here. They don't have to be here. They want to be here. So that is a beautiful idea for the followers of Jesus that this, this day, this Lord's Day, Sunday, is a day where we get together because we want to. We want to. Some of y'all have been really disciplined to take it in online. Some of y'all are gathering in person right now and, and we're sitting in rooms together and we do it because we want to. And if you don't want to, like if there's this struggle in your mind, is, here's a day to just go before the Lord and like, Lord, I'm struggling with wanting to be with other believers. Help me. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I I want to align under you. What do you want, Lord? We love you all.